Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglo thieves. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not here to judge. Good day, everyone. I don't know. It's been kind of a weird week. Hi, everybody. It's episode 22. I'm pretty sure. Of Anglo Fees. And we're here to blather on about a bunch of things. I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. And... Here we go. We don't have an overarching topic this week because I just moved last weekend and didn't have time to do homework. (laughs) But we do have a lot of things to talk about because things keep happening in the world. We keep on having opinions about these things. So, where do you want to start? You want to start with esports, Alina? I'll start us off with esports. So, this is fairly recent. I think this entire thing happened just over this past week. Uh, it's started when the uh, Finnish um, Esports Federation, let me see what was the actual name, um, Finnish Assembly, I think. They were holding um, a tournament for a kind of a newer esport game. It's called Hearthstone. Uh, it's by Blizzard Entertainment, who are best known for World of Warcraft and Starcraft. And the competition was male only. So there was understandably kind of an outcry on the internet and what the fuck is this so and the reason for that wasn't even the it wasn't even that it was the Finnish assembly's idea I mean the specific tournament was their idea but what happened is that they are part of the International Esports Federation which is headquartered in South Korea and the International Esports Federation segregates their uh, various esports by gender so they have they had at the time Dota 2, uh, StarCraft 2, Hearthstone, and Ultra Street Fighter 4 were for men. And then they had StarCraft 2 and Tekken Tag Tournament 2 for women. So when the Finnish Assembly held their tournament, if they ha- if their tournament had been, you know, all-inclusive, mixed gender, then had a woman made it into the top eight, she wouldn't have been allowed to go on to the tournament for which she qualified anyway. So when that news broke, the, there was an even more understandable, what the fuck, IEF, what are you even doing? Their excuse was that they're trying to promote esports as a, quote, legitimate sport, and because actual uh, physical athletic sports are segregated by gender, therefore their esports had to be segregated by gender, too. Okay, so for those of us who don't have the proper amounts of e-cred, or nerd cred, what what the hell are esports? So esports are uh, basically multiplayer competitive computer games. Uh, a lot of people know League of Legends is one of the bigger ones right now. Um, Starcraft to itself, um, and these games are so popular and so played that um, companies can actually make money by well, not companies, uh, organizers can make money by holding large tournaments. Um, very often these are team events, right? So you would have a team of four to five players, however many the game is made for. Um, I think Hearthstones actually would be one-on-one. Um, and they would go on to compete against each other because these these games allow... F- uh, these are not MMOs like Warcraft where 
there's no beginning or end, you know, you're just all gonna play, these would actually have scenarios that you have to play out, you know, play out against the two imposing teams. So that allows for a competitive sport environment. Sorry, go ahead. It, it, I'm, I'm just back on, we want these to be like real sports. You, I, I don't, I would, what? I would say they're more um, comparative to, say, chess tournaments. You know, like um, non-digital gaming tournaments. So that's really where where the comparison to me makes more sense. And I, you know what? I wanted to look this up, but I actually forgot because I'm not entirely sure whether international chess tournaments are segregated by gender or not. Off the top of my head, I can't remember. It feels like they might be just because of very old prejudices being carried forward, not for any modern viable reason. Um, but either way, there's just no justification here that would have made that would have stood up to any kind of logic you know that is like 12 kinds of bullshit no it's it really was here's what's interesting to note so unlike an an athletic sport these games are actually owned by somebody they are owned by the companies that produce and publish them and as i mentioned hearthstone is produced by blizzard Blizzard is very big, and Blizzard probably has the biggest clout in this world. And I don't know whether out of any kind of sense of morality or or just really sensing a good PR move, Blizzard put their foot down and said, uh, no, if you want to organize a tournament with our sport, you cannot do this. Because because they own the property, they actually get to say, like, the organizers can only run these as long as all the companies that publish the game are okay with it, right? Uh-huh. So the, the moment Blizzard said, <laughs> no, uh, as long as this bullshit's going on, you cannot have StarCraft and Hearthstone as part, and StarCraft being probably the biggest one. Um, then, of course, the ISF immediately did a 180. Well, good. So here's the end result. Um, so what happened was ISF then released a statement saying how they will they will now hold like all the previous tournaments that were supposed to be male only and are open to all genders, but they will retain two. So StarCraft two and Tekken Tech Tournament two will also have a side female only competition, with the logic there being that they still want to promote eSport as, you know, a safe environment where women can compete and try to uh, attract more women players. So they're hoping that having women-only side events um, will will attract more women to the competitions. Which resulted in some interesting responses. Because there's those who say, well, yes, you know, um, e-gaming does have this reputation and really deserved reputations being very misogynistic and if you if you want to compete as a woman you either have to get lucky with the environment you're in or just have thick skin and be able to <clears throat> you know fight through a lot of bullshit um, but I have seen some responses online from women saying that when you know having the female only competitions on the side feels a little demeaning to them which is also you know a legitimate way to feel about this. Uh, there's people who feel like it's not the right way to change the culture. So, you know, there, there's still 
conversations to be had, but of course the end result was of the, you know, the open for all main tournaments is pretty much what people were hoping for. Mm-hmm. So that was the big thing in in esports <laughs> over the past week. Esports. Sorry, I'm still back on it's not a sport. Stop it. Well, speaking of sports, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it being classified as a sport. I just find it kind of hilarious that there are some men who seem really frightened by the idea that a woman might be better at a video game than men. Oh, boo my heart bleeds for you. Okay. But there are actual sports going on in the world right now, like the World Cup and Wimbledon final, which I believe is still going on right now. I and believe and you're right. And oh. the Tour de France, which is currently in England. You know, I, that makes sense. Can somebody explain that? I think they just put in a bed. Because it was about promoting tourism or something. I can't remember the exact process. But if you're going to call it the Tour de France and have it in England, you should at least, you know, add an asterisk at the end of France. Or something. Or but, yeah. <laughs> admit that that apparently the Battle of Agincourt was the be-all and end-all or something. I don't know. It's a little unfortunate right now for Team Sky, who are the British team, because Mark Cavendish literally crashed out yesterday. And I believe he's oh. torn some ligaments in his knee. Oh no! And the other sort of controversy there was that Bradley Wiggins, or Sir Bradley Wiggins, who won it two years ago, is not on the team. And the theory going around, the rumor anyway, is that Chris Froome, who is on the team and won it last year, and who hates Bradley Wiggins, said, "I don't want him on." Although they both they both denied that, but you know, it's really fun to speculate about the drama of grown men in Lycra. <laughs> Oh, sports never change. It is also almost the one-year anniversary of our favorite Wimbledon ship of Gerard Butler and Bradley Cooper. <laughs> oh, they were so sweet. I know. We 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 watched that match a few weeks ago. Just so we watched Bradley Cooper and Gerard Butler getting very happy and taking selfies together. And they're coordinating outfits. Yeah, I know. Wimbledon tennis has actually been in the news here in Canada a lot because Canadians have you know broken kind of historical records and how well they did. So Eugenie Bouchard uh, reached the finals, the first Canadian singles player to do so. She fell in the finals, but, <laughs> you know, it was still a pretty big deal. Um, Milos Raonic fell in the semifinals, and because the, the male semis were like the day after the female, so he was technically the second Canadian to reach the semis at that point after she did, she reached hers. And in the, the doubles event... Um, of the winning pair, one of them is actually Canadian, so it's it's been popping up in the news here because of how well we've been doing. Yay, so Canada! Like America, so you're like America, suddenly realizing that football is a thing because they're doing well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty well. much. And that, I will say kudos to the supporters of Team USA for bringing the cosplay realness to that crowd. <laughs> and the guy versus Teddy Roosevelt rallying people was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Oh, uh, World Cup. For a couple of minutes after the game that the U.S. lost to, I don't even remember who, um, Tim Howard, our uh, our goalie, was on Wikipedia, was the Secretary of Defense. For about two minutes. It was brilliant. If you didn't follow the hashtag things Tim Howard could save, it was brilliant. Everything ranging from Ned Stark to Robin Thicke's career. <laughs> Dinosaurs. He was catching the meteor. Do you see that? 
<laughs> yeah, there was a post going around Tumblr of him catching the sword that that beheaded Ned Stark. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Tim Howard deserved a far better defense than he had because he was saving all the goals for the most part, even though they lost. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think anyone in the tournament had saved as many on target goals as he did. Yeah, I believe it was 16 or 18 by the end of the game. It was it was it was a brilliant game. I, I thought it was. I mean, I will admit I've gotten very much into the World Cup this year. I don't tend to go for football very much. I like the international stuff because it just it seems much more fair to me to pick the people from your country rather than just go around buying people from millions and millions to play on your team. Mm-hmm. And also because my dad supports a really rubbish team, so <laughs> it's but, like well, it's really fun being Scottish and watching the World Cup because we've got nobody in this match. We can root for anyone we want, <laughs> except for England. Well, yeah, who got knocked out in the first round? I'm not, I'm not rubbing that in or anything. I mean, it's no. not nationalist; it's tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that brilliant post on Tumblr? It was kind of, it was, it, it was about the the sport and I think it was making fun of how badly England was doing and it's it called it soccer instead of football and somebody responded saying you mean football and the response was it's soccer when America's winning and England's not burn oh burn I, I almost felt a little sorry for England just because the crap that they've given their manager for it and he's like oh he should resign and he had the great disgrace and stuff it's like your team was terrible there's only so much the manager can do Although it's quite funny because the manager of the Scottish national team, Gordon Strachan, is out there as a commentator and it's like, you just want a free holiday to Brazil. It didn't matter that you didn't get us to qualify, you just want a holiday in Rio on the beach commentating on football. Yeah, well. I'll take that gig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's kicked the ball to that guy and it's it's near the goal and it's gone back again and oh, what a match. My money like is on Netherlands about. for the record. It's going to be Netherlands or Germany, I think. So it's going to be, the semifinals are going to be Germany versus Argentina and Brazil versus the Netherlands, it looks like. Yeah, it's going to be Brazil versus Germany, I believe, and then Argentina versus the Netherlands. If Brazil falls in the semis, will the entire nation just burn down right then and there? Like, will there be riots in the streets? Yes. Maybe, because I know Dilma Rousseff's approval numbers go up every time Brazil win a match. (laughs) That's not a joke. So I think she's hoping for the best. I I don't I wouldn't mind Brazil winning. I I I don't want Argentina to win. I'll admit that. Um, I I I I was supporting the Netherlands mostly, but last night they were playing Costa Rica, who were the underdogs of the tournament, and it was just it was not a good game. Yeah, that's what I heard. Robin was diving more than Tom Daly. (laughs) (laughs) We got your sports metaphors right here. We know that's why all of you come. Oh, what's up those fake sports girls? Who the hell do they think they are? <laughs> yeah. It's not like we watch only for the hot guys. Not Although there have been plenty. <laughs> Gotta say, Team USA, you did have a white guy with dread, so we do need to talk about that. Well, <laughs> look. <laughs> There's really nothing to be done about that. No. Well, after the World Cup's done and after Wimbledon's done today, which is currently between Djokovic and Federer, the next big thing after the Tour de France will be the 2014 Commonwealth Games, which are being held in Glasgow, and it's going to be a sea of tartan and thistle. So, <laughs> listeners, Keely has just been um, shocked with the uh, the upcoming um, team uniform. For Scotland? 
it's yeah. it's bad, y'all. It's oh, bad. It's so bad. <laughs> so every team gets their uniform in which they walk out into during the opening ceremony, closing ceremony, the the formal wear, so to speak. Uh, I'm trying to give you a uh, visual representation of this. We will attach a picture, but so there are blue shirts, long sleeves with some sort of pattern on them. I don't know what the pattern is, but we can't tell. That's made into like a kind of wrap dress for women, just below the knee. Then there is a pinkish and turquoise and yellowy mustard-coloured tartan in kilt form for the men, of course, and a shawl for the ladies. Then there's yellow mustardy socks and sporrans. And I think one of them was wearing gloves. That or he's got a really dark hand. And then the women have stone-coloured sporran-style handbags. Sure. Because... You'll need something to carry your dignity out in while you're walking around wearing that. <laughs> and it was designed by an actual Scottish person. They didn't just bust in someone from the, the, the Braveheart costume team to make this. This is someone actually from Scotland. So it's not good. But then again, we have a fistful and a kilt as our mascot, so I feel like we're just going full out crazy. Yeah. That, the opening ceremony is going to be... I don't know, because originally the plan for the opening ceremony was there's a, a series of extremely tall, high-rise, flat buildings in Glasgow called the Red Row buildings. They're very famous. And they were originally going to blow them up as part of the opening ceremony. Oh, that's right. And then they Did they hire Michael Bay to direct the opening ceremony? You know what? That, you know what? I'm no Michael Bay fan, but he might have brought some life to the proceedings. <laughs> but the council decided this along with the Scottish government and it was talking about the it was a symbol for the revitalisation of Glasgow and Scotland. And then a lot of people signed a petition saying, you know, this is kind of gross. You might not want to do this. Maybe not. Um, and then they decided, okay, in hindsight, it wasn't the best idea. So I have no idea what's going to happen in our opening ceremony. Because I'm also, from what I've heard, all of the major Scottish musical acts have said no to performing. <laughs> like Franz Ferdinand said no, Bell and Sebastian said no. The Proclaimers said no. What? Oh, oh God. Ouch. Yeah. Like, I, I believe Deacon Blue said no as well. So we're kind of running low. I have no idea who else they're going to ask. Maybe they could ask John Barrowman. That Actually, that would be quite good. I would watch that. Yes, that's your plan now, Glasgow. Go ask John Barrowman. He has to do the entire thing in his Scottish accent. We all know that John Barrowman never says no. And sometimes he really should. <laughs> yeah. If you watch some of the stuff on British television that John Barrowman does... <sighs> I have no idea if Scotland's going to win any medals in this game either. You know, because um, originally Chris Hoy was going to, this was going to be his swan song before he retired, and then he decided to retire early. But they have named the cycling velodrome after him, so he will be there in spirit. I had no idea we could talk about sport at such length, to be honest. I know, I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. I'm pretty impressed with us. I don't even have any Wikipedia tabs open. This is just coming off of my head. I'm okay. well to this. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, we do have a lot of other things to talk about. I do want to talk about the Mary Sue thing. Yeah. Actually, okay, I'll be honest here. I don't read the website very often. I wasn't very involved, but I do know it was kind of a big deal. So really what I mean is I want you two to talk about the Mary Sue thing. And yeah, I'll just pick you back on your... You <laughs> Hang on a second, I will drag up my, my research materials. By um, I, mean. I have your research materials right well, here. Ba basically what happened was, the Mary Sue, which is a website 
which is supposed to be dedicated to women in, in geekdom. It's owned by Dan Abrams, who owns sites like Mediaite and a number of other ones. It merged with Geekosystem, which is another site owned by Dan Abrams, which meant that their teams were brought together. The site was completely given an overhaul. It became much more generic looking, for one thing. A lot of the taglines about how it was a guide to geek girl culture had disappeared. If you go into the, you know, what about page, it does still mention about being about women and feminism, but it is kind of hidden away in a way that it wasn't before. A lot of the ecosystem's writers have joined, including a number of men, which isn't really a problem. But one of the guys who's now co-editor released a bunch of tweets talking about how, oh, I'm a straight white man, I must be the enemy. Oh, I should stop having opinions. It was really mansplainy. And so a lot of people were understandably quite disappointed because the whole point of having a safe space for women and geekdom on the internet is that it doesn't get invaded with this kind of crap. Hang on a sec. Thank you, Mum. Sorry. Hi, Kaylee's uh, mom. Kaylee's mom. Dropping things off. Uh, so a lot of people complained. There's a lot of things written on Tumblr you can find. He was very... Um, they did a Reddit Ask Me Anything. Because when you want a reasonable discussion, you go to Reddit. And he was throwing around a lot of numbers like, well, 55% of our readership last year was male. And it's like, that's not the point. The point is it's still supposed to be centered around women. You can't just erase that. They did offer this very long, I think it was a mostly reasonable apology, where they were talking about, we were listening to your concerns and we're dealing with this. But I was really not interested in Glenn Tickle's apology. He's the guy who released the mansplaining tweets, where he says, I don't feel like my my character should be just." by a couple of tweets I released while I was feeling very under pressure and upset. Like, oh, you're going to use that excuse, are you? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> but it is just a sort of sign that I, mean, I get that the mayor is about making money. I get that Dan Abrams wants to make money from these sites because that's what they're there for. You know, the sites out there, they've got people to pay. They've got bills to pay. You can't not charge your writers, otherwise you become like what Entertainment Weekly is doing right now. I get that. But it's really sad to see the possibility of the Mary Sue, which wasn't 100% great on the front, but at least it was making an effort to be somewhat inclusionary. Um, or inclusive, inclusionary is not a word. But it was making an effort, and now it just feels like it's going to become another sort of bland, generic site about quote-unquote geeks, but what it really means is straight white dudes aged between 18 and 35, because, hey, that's where the money is. I'll, I'll tell you what I noticed about some of the, you know, some of this and this is, um, it came from either the AMA or one of like the the post uh, post fact you know letters explaining why this happened. But there's a statistic that was used to justify the change in branding, and um, it looks like it came out of the Reddit AMA. Um, it said the statistics is, or rather the quote is, "Did you know that 55% of the readership for the Mary Sue last month was male?" Now. It looks like Tickle was using that statistic to justify the change in branding, where to me that means the men already felt comfortable reading this. You know, like, why change the branding when your own statistics say that your readership is equal in gender, that it works for everybody? Yeah, it just seems to be buying into this continuing stereotype that if men are interested in something, it must be entirely centered around them. You know, they can't be interested in it even for it is not exclusively tailored towards them. I mean, I think that's both in, that's insulting to both women and men. 
but the only difference the difference here is that when women like something that is considered traditionally masculine and they're the ones that are putting money into it designers and publishers don't go out of their way to then pander to women they seldom go out of their way to pander to women the examples where they do they're then complained about but what are you doing shutting out the men what about the men which is now makes me think of a fairly recent story concerning orange is the new black and it was oh, the atlantic's nor berlatsky oh right who wrote the article about like why aren't there more men in this TV show about a women's prison? And I think there was just a collective facepalm on the internet. I've got to say, I am surprised it took them this long to get about what about the men's article written about oranges and your black. Yeah. I was sort of hopeful that maybe we'd avoid it for a while, but no, it, it inevitably came. But I think there's a re- legitimate criticism to level at the fact that the male characters aren't as well drawn as the female ones. You know, the guards can be a little bit one note. But it is kind of refreshing to be able to say that about the men in the show instead of the women, which is what we're so used to. Um, okay, I'll be honest, I do not watch the show. Yes, I know, booze, I can hear them from the gallery. But I read an interesting response. It might have been on the AV Club. I'll see if I can find it for the show notes, uh, which it seemed to really pick apart some of the men are one note argument by bringing up very concrete examples of characters that they felt... Where, you know, why would you concentrate on a cameo from one episode when you have this recurring character that seems to contradict your point was a lot of what they've written. So um, I'll try to find both articles to link to in the show notes to present, you know, the counterbalance for you as well. Well, one of the points they seem to label is, well, all of these male guards in this women prison are kind of awful and sadistic. It's like, do you understand the American prison system for women? (laughs) That's pretty much what it's like. They also kept comparing it to Oz. And I like Oz. It's a very different kind of show. And if you think that the female characters on that show are as well-drawn as the yeah. male ones, there are some great female characters on that show, but they're not even close. And they're not trying to do the same thing with Orange is New Black. Oz is a very hallucinogenic show. People kind of forget that. It's really tr- strange and trippy at times. It's done in an almost you know, theatrical manner at times. Orange is New Black is going for something a little, a little more um, grounded in reality. Um, but it's just the idea, oh, it's about this one common theme, they must be exactly the same, and oh, the one with the men is instantly better, when completely different. I think it just, it does seem like really the male equivalent of peril clutching. Just, oh my god, but what about my feelings? Why isn't this completely pandering to my every need? Because everything else in entertainment already does that. Get over it. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not watching Orange is New Black, I haven't started second season, but the first season is really wonderful. I have seen through the second season, and uh, it's still wonderful. Um, I think that I, I've heard some people kind of go, I don't understand why everybody needs to be like humanized, but I, that's like the point of the show is that when you're in prison, whether you're a guard or a prisoner, you're still a person and you still have your story. And I think the guards do get little more nuggets of personalization as the season goes on. And the people who you think are incredibly stupid are still incredibly stupid. The thing I really admire about the show is not just because it has this really vast and diverse ensemble, but it doesn't try to make excuses for these women. Yes, they're sometimes, sometimes they are very good people and sometimes they have made mistakes, but they're all in jail for a reason. There's none of this, oh, the system screwed me, or oh, I didn't do it and I'm innocent, and I'm so glad they didn't do that with Piper. 
Mm-hmm. I was so afraid watching that show, it was going to be nice wasp lady goes into jail and oh, wacky things happen with all the people who aren't white. And they just kind of dump her as the main character and just get on with the rest of the more interesting people, which I really loved. Yeah, I mean, that that it, that is exactly what the creator was doing with Piper, is that she knew that she needed Piper to get the show made and to get Middle America to watch it. But Piper isn't really who the show is about, and she was never intended to be who the show was about. She's described by Genji Cohen, the creator, as being the Trojan horse, yep. which I quite love. If only the Trojan horse could get rid of Jason Biggs, he's just... Right. <laughs> it's not even, no, even like Jason that. Biggs is like I know that there there are two people in the world who are Team Larry, one of which is Jason Biggs, and the other one is Jason Biggs' mom. But that's nice. I don't even dislike that character, and I understand where they're going with him in a lot of times. But I don't. I find some of his decisions just so inexplicably awful. And even I even ended up sympathizing with Piper more, even as there are points where she just doesn't seem to be learning any lessons. But she at least has this moment where she sits down and says, "I committed a crime. I am here for a reason. I am not better than any of the women in here." And I found that 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 was very refreshing. I hope that continues with season two, which I need to sit down and get around to watching at some point. You you really do. <laughs> I think a lot of people as well were just kind of surprised that the show came out of nowhere and ended up surpassing House of Cards in the viewing in the ratings in terms of people that were actually watching it on uh, Netflix. Nobody expected that this, you know, this one show about all the women in prison was going to be Kevin Spacey being Foghorn Leghorn and awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, House of Cards, if you've never seen the, the original British one's brilliant and I love it. It's nowhere near comparable to the more slick, polished American version. But it's one of those shows where I will watch it, and I will really enjoy watching it, and I can barely remember anything once it's done, except mm-hmm. for Kevin Spacey talking in my head really despicably. <laughs> I don't know what that. I do love the accent. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I don't know if anyone in reality actually talks like that, but it works uh, well. yeah, yeah, I've heard it. <laughs> and I also I've really like Robin Wright on that show. She's wonderful. Yep. Um, Emmy nominations are coming out on Thursday. Um, and uh, we'll see how Orange is the New Black does. Which has been categorized as a comedy for this. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, people are saying, yeah, it is kind of category fraud, but you've got to do what you've got to do to get the nominations. Like, Shameless was originally considered a drama, has now switched to comedy for that exact reason, because it is much more of a wider field now. Because mm-hmm. I think people are kind of getting a little bit sick of um, of Modern Family. God, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, drama is going to be really packed as well, which is why they didn't go there. True Detective is, you know, going to do a big sweep. I think the Connie's going to win, sadly. Um, Breaking yeah, Bad. Well, as long as it's not Brian Cranston again. Because uh, he's got, like, three or four, right? And he just won a Tony Award for playing Lyndon Johnson. Exactly. So. We'll He's got said he doesn't need it. <laughs> it. I mean, that's the thing. The Emmy, the Emmy voters are kind of like the Oscar ones, except they leave the house less. Yeah. So they're gonna go with what they, you know, they're kind of told to go. It's nice and familiar, and I don't think Downton Abbey has a new series to send in. So. <laughs> yeah. And both Hugh Dancy and Matt Nicholson have submitted themselves as best actor. So. Yeah, that was. Which I understand, because I think last year Hannibal, in the last season, Hannibal himself was much more of a supporting cast. 
Mm-hmm. Remember, where is this one? It really has been about him and Will. So I w- yeah. honestly, I would rather Dan to get the nomination. And I think he has more chance of getting it, if only because I think the old people will understand him better. <laughs> but, um, I would just be happy to see the show get any nomination. Yeah, like, pretty much. Like nominate the opening credits at least. <laughs> something. Come on. Give us something. We don't want to revolt. I mean, of we will. Brian Miller, what? We have to talk about Brian Fuller's new show. You can't see me, but I'm doing my small happy clap. I can tell by your voice. <laughs> so, um, American Gods by Neil Gaiman is one of my favorite books. It is this wonderful sort of modern fantasy about what happens to the gods of old and new when people stop worshipping them. It has been considered unadaptable for a long time. It's been passed from HBO to BBC to basically every network that said, we're going to make a series of it. They never got right to it. It looks like we might be getting a series on stars and the pilot is being written by Brian Fuller. Because Brian Fuller looks at something unadaptable and goes, challenge accepted. (laughs) He's doing it with Michael Green, who he worked with on Heroes. So which it, and he means he will still be doing Hannibal. He did say that on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He says he's got he's got this other guy to be the showrunner as well, so he can work with the cannibal. I believe is what he said. Um, so this is a big deal for stars in particular, who are basically they're, they're not about ambition because the other big adaptation that they're about to put on is Outlander, yep. which starts next month. Outlander is a very large, substantial time travel romance series set in Scotland. Basically, it's going to employ all of the Scottish actors ever, unless the ones that Game of Thrones hasn't employed. So we're, we're happy with it, because it's actually filming here as well. Um, but the thing about American Gods is, there are scenes in that that will make even Hannibal viewers go, Oh! 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 Jesus Christ! Including one very infamous scene, which I won't entirely spoil, but I will say it is a sex scene where they go all in. Oh yeah! Oh yeah, I know what scene you're talking about, and uh, yeah. yeah. Um, somebody asked Brian Fuller on Twitter, "Will you be doing that scene?" And he said, "Oh yes," <laughs> because of course he's going. Well, to Brian Fuller is no stranger to controversial sex scenes, or just strangeness in general. It's great yeah. because we just recently got the horse episode of Hannibal in the UK, and my friend <laughs> immediately my friend immediately tweeted me and says, "There's a social worker in the horse." <laughs> Which is still the greatest line to ever be uttered on television, ever. It really is. Um, I don't think they've set any filming dates or anything like that for American Gods. They're currently in the middle of putting... The the Hannibal Writers team, which now has a Twitter account, are talking about season three, but they're mostly posting pictures of Brian's dogs. Which, Which, that's fine. Well, we're fine with that. Oh, yeah. And talking about the movies that they watch as well, which is really cool. So... I haven't read American Gods yet. I'm getting to it during my vacation this summer. You should join us in reading it because my website's going to do it as their first book club entry. Aww. Um, but I just already foresee all these Tumblr gifs like making an AU where Hannibal and American Gods are like the same universe and Hannibal is like Kronos or something and that's why he's eating people. Oh, just... you, oh you know people are going to write it. Yeah, it's, it's going to be fanfic, there's going to be GIF sets, a Tumblr, I expect great things from you. It is just such a fascinating series, because it just takes this really interesting idea of what happens to the Egyptian gods when people stop believing in them. And in the show, Anubis, the god of death, works as a funeral director in New Orleans. 
And then there are new gods that emerge as people worship them. So, like, the internet is a god who is personified by an extremely whiny, annoying teenage boy. It is. I, I, I will need to read. I haven't read it in years. The issue I had when I was in high school, true story, I was reading the book in class, you know, just in between, like, waiting for teacher to come and stuff. And I got to that sex scene. And if someone grabbed the book and said, hey, what are you reading? They opened up the book. They bent the spine. So whenever I lie that book, that copy of that book, which I don't have anymore, on its spine, it would open up at that scene. Making me look like the biggest pervert in class. So that person got scratched for doing that to my book and making me look like a total pervert. And I ended up having to buy it. Well, I bought a new copy of the book because I let my teacher borrow that copy. And they lost it, so they had to buy me a new one, which was just as well. Yeah. So yeah, it is going to be interesting. I, because uh, I believe Neil Gaiman is actually going to work with them on it, and yep, he's going to have that their hands on understanding as well. And the sequel of sorts to the book, which is called Anansi Boys, um, is supposed to be being made into a series by the BBC at some point. So it may be interesting to have that sort of contrast going on there. Because they did do it as a radio series a few years ago, along with Neverwhere, which they remade. Um, and I haven't listened to. Well, I really should, because Neverwhere was really interesting. Mm. So, good luck to Stars and Brian Fuller and Michael Green for at least trying it. From what I understand, I don't think it's going to be like a really long-running series. I think it might be kind of like, a, not so much a mini-series, but more a mini-series format. Which I feel would probably work better, actually. Because <laughs> material. Um, I'm interested to see what else stars starts commissioning. I hope they just keep going for really ambitious book after really ambitious book. So speaking suggestions of suggestions, what they could adapt next. Go, go wild, guys. Well, speaking of stars, I think it's stars. Uh, no, not stars. Showtime. Penny Dreadful has a finale. Has a finale. I finally got to see it. Yeah. Um. Pretty much, we're. I'm satisfied as a viewer with the season. I th- it went places I expected it to go. I'm satisfied with the season. If if that had been the series, if it hadn't gotten renewed, then I would be disappointed. And I felt like the Mina plot just sort of... Yeah, that was eh, weird. It's just I'm, like, oh, okay. That was really weird. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because the season's so short, you know, 8 as opposed to 10 or 13... Or what? But the 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 thing about Penny Dreadful is it's with you know Minna, Minna Murray and Lord Malcolm Murray. Like it seemed to have taken. It implied with those characters that the Dracula book would be one of the central books you know used in the show, but it kind of really wasn't. Yeah. Not a lot of vampiring. Mostly a lot of Frankensteining, if anything. Yeah. Oh my God, Caliban. Just get yourself a trilby and shut the fuck up. He has turned into the proper capital letter nice monster, hasn't he? Yes. Yes, he really has. He does monologue a yes. lot less, for which is handy. <sighs> I am, there are some things that the show kind of upset me, like the way Van Helsing was on screen for two seconds and then now gone from the show forever. Why? Why bring all these iconic characters in? Mm. Mm-hmm. That said, we're still happy the show exists. Ugh. Also, werewolves. 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> and for awesome giving us werewolves. an actual example where fans have watched a show and gone, just kiss already, and they actually did. Yeah. And then they did. <laughs> and then they also did it. Oh, they did it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and we know who was on top and who was on bottom. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm just saying, we know that. (laughs) Because thankfully the devil possessing Evergreen's character was really interested and wanted us all to know that he was watching. Yeah. (laughs) We don't blame him for that. We would be watching too. Um, I don't know if Ava Green is going to be submitted to the Emmys for any of the awards. I mean, certainly she did a lot of the heavy lifting on the show. They, 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 Sorry? Did, they didn't submit Penny oh. Dreadful at all because uh, Penny Dreadful wasn't submitted at all because the timing, it, it didn't fit the eligibility rules for this year. Mm-hmm. So next year, hopefully. Um... And yeah, now I don't know which episode I would submit her for. Oh, I would submit her for when she has her so. first um, <laughs> her first possession at the at the table with Helen McCrory and she just Yeah, the, the seance. That's what the I seance. thought. And I would Yeah, but then there's the 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 episode 9 the possession, so the week long possession. I don't know. There are a couple of episodes uh, here which were like the special episodes. So they had the flashback one, which I think was episode six, um, which entirely just told the backstory of um, Mina and and Vanessa. Was it episode five? Okay. So Vanessa's and Mina's backstory and, and all of that. And then, yeah, episode seven it's almost like what they call a bottle episode because instead of going out anywhere the way they do in a lot of the other episodes, this one was just in Sir Malcolm's house. You know, Vanessa yeah. is possessed and the boys, as she calls them, are all there taking care of her through the, the week in which the devil lives mm-hmm. inside her body. So also required a lot of physical acting, obviously, is with these things. So a lot of moments she gets with the other characters... Very interesting study, a character study, that episode. So yeah, I'm pretty happy. I'm really happy it's coming back for the next season. I kind of wish maybe it would get 10 episodes because I feel like having eight makes for a slightly off pacing to the season when they do these slower flashback episodes. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see what's... Yeah, oh, actually, Wikipedia tells me it is going to be a 10 episode second season. So there's that. Okay, good. Um, in other vampire-related news, Dracula Untold has a trailer. Luke Evans is sexy. Luke Evans That's is all sexy all the times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it implies what I think we might have already known from some of the release material, that basically the idea is that Dracula here um, acquired his power as a kind of deal with the devil, he he needs to be powerful enough to defeat an enemy that his army alone simply can't withstand, so he's going to become this creature of darkness. But did he basically sell his soul to become a bigger monster than the one threatening his homeland? Yes. It seems to be the story. <laughs> and the answer is yes. You know, you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain, and 
I think he's going to see himself long enough to become the villain, but he's dark and tortured and sexy, and we will love it. And his hair is so floppy. <laughs> That's how you know something is a historical drama, the floppy hair. Yep. George Hartnett and Penny Dreadful. Dorian Gray and Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful. <laughs> Dorian Gray is just Dorian Gray. <laughs> an entity unto himself. Caught Dorian. And his obsession with Wagner, which I really feel re- reveals a lot. <laughs> just, if someone tells you that their favorite musician or composer is, is Wagner, you might want to start backing away slowly. <laughs> Noted. And I'm saying that as someone who considers Tristan and Isolde a masterpiece. Noted. Uh, in news that probably made Raiden very happy, it's alive! He's been Frankensteined! Ridiculous. It's just my emotions. My emotions. My whole brain is crying. It's been renewed by Yahoo, which is very yeah. interesting. So Yahoo wants to get in the online streaming game. And it's decided that community is going to be the vehicle with which to do that. It should be noted that Yahoo does have some original program of kinds, but it's not really in terms of like a full TV episode as we think of it. They have a show called Burning Love, which is a parody of the reality dating shows like The Bachelor, which is actually really funny. Um, it but sounds it's, like it's, a it's, euphemisms for an STD. I think that's the point. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a proper wild parody. Of, um, the second season in particular is really funny because they have they do it like The Bachelorette with the women and all these guys come and the women's played by June Diane Raphael, who is the the sweet earnest lady from the How Did This Get Made podcast. Mm. And she's completely psycho and every guy that comes on the show is even more psychotic. And they have a bunch of guest stars like Ken Marino and Michael Cera and June Dyer and Rachel's actual husband Paul Shearer is on it. It is really sweet and I'm wondering if at least we get community on, on Yahoo, they might bring more attention to that. But they are doing other shows as well. I believe um, there's one called... I'm, I'm looking it up now because I know that they want to do this. It's called Other Space, which is from Paul Fake, who directed Bridesmaids. And it would be his first TV show since Freaks and Geeks. Wow, he hasn't done TV shows since Freaks and Geeks. Oh, can you hear the Hoover? Yes, a little yeah. bit. There we Thanks, go. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> oh, I cannot work under these conditions. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll have to stop for a second. We'll pick it up in a minute. No, no, it's fine now. It's going to do some research. Um, yeah, so the funny thing is, of course, this will be the sixth season of Community, and six seasons in a movie is kind of a wrong, wrong, long-running meme. Yep. I can do English good today. Whatever. <laughs> Russian. But I think it's interesting that this is the direction Yahoo are going in. Yahoo have been notoriously in trouble for a number of years now because they don't entirely know what they are anymore. They're not the go-to search engine because people use Google. They're not your go-to homepage for things like news and weather, because a lot of that just comes on your computer desktop nowadays anyway. Yeah, so their Mar- email Marissa sucks. Yeah. Oh, their email just got terrible. That That's Marissa Meyer's fault. Yeah. She's their new CEO who came over from Google, and um, I don't think she entirely knows what she's doing either. I mean, I kind of want to support her, but she, I, I, her decisions just don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, the, the it, having Yahoo become a platform for that kind of original programming and writing as well, they're bringing on a lot of big, you know, journalists to do to cover their news and their weather and their journalism and all those things. And they also brought on Katie Couric, who's going to have her own kind of news show there. 
I have no idea if people are actually going to seek it out to watch it though. Like the people, the people who are fans of Community will climb mountains and dig tunnels to get to Community. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of anyone who's really like, God, I need the news, but I will only consume it if Katie Couric is doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, if traditional news media is supposed to be dying, why would you then implement traditional news media forms onto the platform that is killing it? That that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, we'll I, I want happens. to like I want to like Yahoo more than I do just because they're less evil than Google and I do believe they actually pay some taxes. But Google's so easy to use. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about Amazon at this point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Should we talk about Amazon as well? Just what's going on with them? Why not? It's a potpourri tangent palooza. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's caught on. Uh, that's that yeah. the, that the title of this episode. Flippery Tangent for Lizard 2. This time it's personal. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or Popery Tangent Palooza 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I think I'm one of the five people on the planet who actually saw that movie. <laughs> So regarding Amazon, Amazon are in a big dispute right now with publisher Hatchet regarding the um, pricing of their ebooks and royalties for regarding those sales. It got really messy to the point where Amazon basically said, screw you guys, I'm going to take you off of our website. So Hatchet books aren't available on Amazon anymore, which is a huge dent in the marketplace because particularly for ebooks because most people do go to Amazon for their ebooks i th- i think they are now because i think they se- i think they settled it just in time for jk rowling's newest mystery because yeah, i bought that from kindle that, that i think that was one of the sort of kicks up the backside for them but this is it's continued to be really messy but it's also resulted in a lot of side taking from offers so a lot of authors have been criticizing Amazon because, of course, so you've had people like Stephen King and Donna Tartt, I believe there's an open letter going around to support that. And then on the other side, supporting Amazon and talking about how wonderful Amazon is, you have self-appointed savior of self-publishing, Hugh Howey, who is a dick. I, I want that on record, that man is a dick. Mm-hmm. He wrote the uh, science fiction series, Wool, which has proven very popular and a very big seller. And has now since been traditionally published, but he has taken it upon himself to be the um, to be the savior of self-publishing in the way that John Green is the savior of young adult fiction. Ugh. And there was a recent event that happened at um, at a convention. I want to say it was the Romantic Times one, where offers were being allowed to a room to sign books, and there was a division between traditionally published and self-published, which was more to do with um, with pricing and organization and who was bringing in the books to be signed and things like that i mean yeah. some people did object but it was a relatively peaceful for most people and then hugh howie wrote a blog post titled being forced to sit in the backlist one he doesn't know what the backlist actually is two he basically compared his plight to that of civil rights hugh howie the white guy i mean he wouldn't say a bad word about amazon if they murdered his dog you know, Amazon could pee their name on the road outside his house and he'd be like, God, I love you guys. I understand not wanting to piss off Amazon. I get that. And I do, 
I can't claim that I am, you know, 100% boycotting Amazon because I'm not. Because in this market, it is cheaper to go to Amazon. If you don't have a lot of money, you're going to go to the place that's cheapest. I would love to do nothing but support indie bookstores. I can't afford to, mainly because there aren't any indie bookstores in my hometown anymore. The one bookshop we had has since been converted into a hat shop because she makes more money selling hats than books. It's depressing. It is really depressing, and I, I want to combat it more, but I, you know, I'm part of the problem. Mm-hmm. It's easier, and it's cheaper, and maybe we've become a little dependent on them, but it doesn't mean that we are wholeheartedly supporting them. You can be a critical consumer. You kind of have to be. It's capitalism. But it has just gotten really messy. It doesn't seem to be like there's an end in sight. I, the, the e-books, I believe, are now back up, as you mentioned, mainly because, you know, you don't fuck with JK. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. It, it's going to get increasingly hard because Jeff Bezos is, you know, stroking his cat and twirling around on his chair and about to release an Amazon phone, which allows you to scan objects in, in shops and then go and buy them on Amazon. Which, you know. <laughs> I've read the we'll J.K. Rowling book, by the way. I still like that series. It's good. I was amazed because it didn't, it didn't top the bestseller charts on New York Times when it came out. It was number two. And there was all people saying, oh, is J.K. Rowling's power being threatened? Oh, is this her beginning to flop? Oh, for J.K. Rowling can do whatever she wants. She's one of the few people in publishing who has the bona fide power to release and write whatever she wants. She's having fun writing murder mysteries. like. I know, I mean, that's what she said. She likes the freedom that comes out. And she knows that she's in this position where she could write something. And she's not even making money off them because they all go towards like the veterans' charity. Yeah. She literally just does it for fun. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, of course, everything she does is going to be considered a flop if you compare it to Harry Potter. 90% of publishing would be considered a flop <laughs> if you compare it to Harry Potter. The only thing that isn't, isn't a flop in comparison is. The Bible. Yeah. The biggest, no, it's actually great. It's now the biggest selling series of all time. Because, no, I needed my atheism reaffirmed. Sure. <laughs> But so yeah, it's just like stop putting J.K. Rowling down. She's wonderful, and she did so much money to charity, and she can do whatever she wants, really. And oh. not only that, she has flat out said, "Yes, I stay. I could move anywhere where the tax rates are lower, but I stay in Britain because Britain helped me, and so now I pay taxes to them to pay it back, pay it forward." She's no She's- longer a billionaire because she pays her top rate of tax. That is way rarer than it should be. Yeah. Um, also, right now, because um, the as you know, the Scottish Independence vote is only a couple of months away. Thank God we'll get it out of the way. And JK Rowling, you've been talking about this damn referendum since we started this podcast. I know it's never ending. JK <laughs> um, Rowling donated a million pounds to the campaign against independence. And she wrote a really wonderful piece saying, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot. I don't think that we're secure enough. I don't see any evidence that we could go independent. I'm really suspicious of the sort of hyper-nationalist attitude that says, you know, that puts Scotland above other people and puts down, you know, like, you know, because she's not Scottish, but she lives in Scotland. Her children are Scottish. I believe her husband is Scottish. And she says about these divisions, you know, I consider myself Scottish because this is my home. I intend to live here for the rest of my life, regardless of what way this vote goes. So she wrote this really wonderful piece. And this is the biggest, like, she's been the biggest donor to that side. Mm-hmm. And the the abuse that she got was pretty 
pretty disgusting. Which included a, a registered charity, which well, the, an actual registered charity calling her a bitch and claiming after everything that Scotland had done for her, this was how she would repeat them. Wow. Yeah. Um, she was I, called every name under the sun, and there was all these people who were like, "Well, I never liked Harry Potter in the first place." It's like, you oh, liar! Shit. You came out in favour of known. It's like, yeah, you like Bowie and you like Eddie Izzard and you like J.K. Rowling and you like whiskey as well. So stop claiming you dislike everything because it disagrees with you. I'd like to just read a a quote from her statement just to give people a concrete sample, okay? So this is somewhere from the middle, but we'll link the whole thing. Some of the most pro-independence people I know think that Scotland need not be afraid of going it alone because it will excel no matter what. This romantic outlook strikes a chord with me because I happen to think that this country is exceptional, too. Scotland has punched above its weight in just about every field of endeavor you care to mention, pouring out world-class scientists, statesmen, economists, philanthropists, sportsmen, writers, musicians, and indeed Westminster prime ministers in quantities you would expect from a far larger country. My hesitance at embracing independence has nothing to do with the lack of belief in Scotland's remarkable people or its achievements. The simple truth is that Scotland is subject to the same 21st century pressures as the rest of the world. It must compete in the same global markets, defend itself from the same threats, and navigate what still feels like a fragile economic recovery. The more I listen to the Yes campaign, the more I worry about its minimizations and even denial of risks. And it's such a wonderfully leveled piece that she's written, and there's a lot of claims like, well, we want this to be a really civilized debate, and she was making very civilized points, and then people started calling her a cunt. Because that's how you get women involved in politics. Definitely. What really got me was the claim that she wasn't entitled to this view because she's not, she wasn't born and raised in Scotland, which, you know, that's bullshit. Scotland is full of immigrants. Scotland was mostly built on immigrants. And this idea that because she is an extremely wealthy woman, she didn't count as an ordinary Scot because she donated so much money. Keeping in mind the biggest donor to the independence campaign are a pair who won the lottery and won tens of millions of pounds. They're real Scots, but J.K. Rowling wasn't. I need this debate to be over. I need to be able to talk about something else. <laughs> we can talk about how Game of Thrones was full of oh my things god. this season. Oh my god. This is not a happier thought than Scottish independence because this season of Game of Thrones can be summed up with the word problematic. Yep. There were some things that were awesome. Uh, Pedro Pascal as Oberyn Martell was amazing. Beautiful. And amazing. And Gwendolyn Christie as Brienne continues to be a delight. Yep. And we're so happy for her that she will be in the new Star Wars movie. She should be in a lot more things. She should. Um... And then, and then Jamie. And then Jamie. So here's the thing. Um, I I'm a book reader, so I happen to know that Jamie in the books, being the the murdering incestuous person he is, has one line that he doesn't cross. That line is raping women. That is a line. Show Jamie doesn't see seems to consider our Robin Thick blurred line. That's a line the showrunners seem to consider a Robin Thick blurred line. But listening to one of the showrunners talk about it, he didn't seem to think that it was rape. 
No, that's the thing. They literally film a scene where the woman, from the beginning of the scene to the end of it, keeps on saying, no, no, stop. And then they turn around to the audience and go, what are you talking about? That's not rape. Right. When in the book, that particular scene is, no, we shouldn't because somebody could walk in. Okay, I'm totally into this. Never mind that we're fucking next to the body of our dead son, but whatever. In the show, it's there's no consent, there's no acquiescence. It's all no, I don't want to. And she's all, I hate you, and therefore I will rape you. Like it's yeah, really ugh. Yeah. And I I find it interesting that the only person people who have made statements on that particular scene have been the male showrunners and the male actor involved Lena Headey has not said anything I understand why she hasn't as well oh I understand it but it says something she hasn't said anything yeah I think her silence does speak volumes when we talked about the complaints about when we talked about Game of Thrones briefly about how they use the defense to get historically accurate. Yeah. Um, and then the other claim is, well, we're just following what happens in the book. That didn't happen in the book. Exactly. <laughs> what, what is the excuse? Because it's... honestly, that just comes across as we really hate this bitch of a woman and we're going to punish her. Yeah. The thing is, historically accurate defenses, pretty much anytime I hear it, has fallen apart whenever an actual historian would look at it and say, no. Um, I think I've linked to this before. It's a Tumblr tag called Meta Mondays. So by a medieval historian, she analyzes the real world parallels to various things in the book and whether or not they match up. And for example, um, one of the later ones she's done, uh, or more recent ones, um, is the, I think the, the Mongol people like the history you know Genghis Khan and that empire the Mongol empire to the Dothraki in the books and how people were like well yeah you know the barbarian hordes and the, the like you mean the society that had some of the more enforced you know legal systems in the world where they literally said a naked woman with a gold purse could travel the Silk Road unmolested beginning to end so, no, it doesn't, uh, the historical justification doesn't work that way. <laughs> and what I find interesting is that with this change in Jamie, the show continues um, to have this strange thing where they take character relationships and flip the dynamic. In season one, it was Caitlin and Ned, where, um, he, like, in the in the show, Caitlin... Caitlin's like, no, no, you're leaving the family. But in the books, it was all like, what are you talking about? This is politically brilliant. You should go do this. And here, I feel like they kind of did the same with Cersei mm-hmm. and Jamie because in the books, Jamie gets back to King's Landing and basically says, I am tired of hiding who we are. The Targaryens married brother to sister. Look, all my life, you've been the love of my life. Why can't I just like love you openly? And Cersei's like, <laughs> you're ruining everything. Shut up. That and Shay. Which is one of the worst adaptations they've done. I, I liked where they were going with the show version of Shay. And I can understand why why she did what she did on the stand. What I can't even with is the 
fan reaction to, oh, that bitch totally deserved to get killed because she lied. She and she went and she fucked Tywin and I like, like I'm not surprised by the fan reaction because I have been on the internet in my time. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm disappointed by it. <laughs> it to me it just didn't work. You know, they kept on they, they tried to preserve her storyline while basically having a completely different character. And it's so just didn't work for me in the end and it part of it has to do with the differences to Tyrion's character because in the book both the the book Shay, who is just basically a very shallow and selfish gold digger but Tyrion is a very naive and young 25 year old so it, you can believe that he really wouldn't see that about her and then would throw a tantrum and kill her in the show, Tyrion is older and wiser, and Shay is sweeter and, and nicer, so the fact that they then have to play out storyline written for two completely different characters just, to me, leads to some really weird dissonance. Plus, uh, for anybody who watches the show and hasn't seen the books, you will see a lot of book readers complain about the scene that didn't happen, which is the epilogue scene to, to that book, and... It is not clear if that is even going to happen at all. Which almost maybe kind of spoils it to the book readers that that the character introduced in the scene isn't important after all, which would be strange. Or the show's just going to, I don't know, have to write some of its own storyline. A lot of what happened in the last few episodes just, or actually throughout the season, just didn't happen in the books. Yeah, I, I think we're we're heading towards a a it's, it's Bleach is one of the animes that mm-hmm. started off and eventually outdistanced the manga that it's based on. And mm-hmm. so anime Bleach went one direction, manga Bleach went another, and then anime Bleach like looped around to try and match up where the manga went. Somebody explained this to me once, and eventually my brain got tied into knots but i i think that's what's going to happen is that i believe that that the showrunners sort of know the intended end game but whether they go that or how they get there is not going to be based on what's totally in george's head it's really funny seeing snippets of george arm interviews or you know seeing the entire interviews because he's obviously like not that happy with the show <laughs> yeah well, what's interesting is he gave an interview and he mentioned that he has been somewhat influenced in his own writing by the show. So that's going to get weirdly incestuous. And given what the show has been doing in terms of, you know, let's get rapey, I think I, I understand why a lot of people will be concerned. Mm-hmm. I wonder, uh, though, with that quote, without an elaboration, I, you know, is he influenced by the show or, you know, maybe if he's influenced by some of the actors whose interpretation of the character he's liked so much that maybe he's writing a little more. Well, I can understand that because, you know, someone like Peter Dinklage, I, you, he influences just everyone and everything. He's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I haven't read the books, but I have been watching the show. Tarion's constantly described as being hideous, right? Yes. Then why is he played by Peter Dinklage? Because, because Hollywood pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and by by this time in the books Tyrion's also missing his nose because it's been actually yeah. slight that scar they put on Peter Dinklage is actually like a missing <laughs> chunk of nose in the books yeah 
We'll just give him a sexy scar and we'll move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <pretty laughs> okay. Much. Let me put it this way. Why is the Phantom of the Opera played by Jared Butler? Why, why does he only have kind of a bad sunburn? <laughs> He's also supposed to be missing his nose, among other things. Have you seen who's playing the Phantom on Broadway right now? No. Uh, yeah. Who? Norm Lewis from Scandal. Mm-hmm. The first black actor to play him on Broadway. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I would go mm-hmm. watch him. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, good times. Uh, what do we got yeah. next? Raiden, you have seen Snowpiercer. I have seen Snowpiercer. And I haven't because it's not out here yet and it's upsetting. Yeah. Um, so they announced that Snowpiercer would be released in the US on June 27th. But it didn't actually open anywhere in the Boston area or most of the US until just this past weekend. And it's only playing in the art house theaters in Boston. So I saw it at the historical Brattle Theater in Harvard Square, in which the seats are narrow and not spaced well. Um, But it's historical theater, so whatever. You can go see Citizen Kane and do a sing-along of West Side Story next month. Anyway, um, the Brattle Theater is awesome, and if you're in Boston, you should go. My point is, yes, I saw Snowpiercer. Um, it is it is not your typical summer blockbuster because you know, your typical summer blockbuster ends with two-thirds of humanity dead, but we're, we're all going to have our Independence Day and kick the ass of the aliens or something, and you're going to want a lot of booze after the end of this movie. Probably not beef, though. I'm just saying. Um, Is the beef people? It's unclear. It's entirely possible. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If there is anyone who has seen the movie, uh, you, you know what I mean when I say... God, cannibalism comes up everywhere in my life right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really well put together movie. And Chris Evans is amazing. And I know he's talking about giving up acting and moving behind the camera after his contract with Marvel is over. And I support that decision. I think it's a kind of a shame, though, because he's really good. He's really good. And I'm not just talking about his butt, because you can't see his butt in this movie. But as an actor, he's really good. And Octavia Spencer and John Hurt, Ed Harris, um, the two Korean actors are really amazing um and then there's jamie bell for some reason and um but it's a friend of mine described it as the most relentlessly bleak movie he's ever seen ever ever 
And uh, by the end, you just kind of go, I found myself going, yeah, that is a logical conclusion, and I'm okay with this. I love Relentlessly Bleak. Yeah. (laughs) It's my favorite genre of fiction. Well, you are Scottish. There's two books. Oh, that would explain, you know, J.K. Rowling's Casual Vacancy, because talk about Relentlessly Bleak. Yeah. Have you read that yet, Kaylee? No, not yet. We're get, they are about to start making it into a miniseries for the BBC. Okay, so. you, you need to read this, because if you want a book that felt, yep, that's how it ends, I will go stick my head in the oven now. That is the book. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Snowpiercer definitely takes the, the concept of kind of class warfare that I think, that I really feel it certainly the U.S. is headed towards. Um... And takes it to its logical ad absurdium conclusion. And you go, yep, that's that's how it's all going to end. And there you go. That happened. <laughs> uh, you will love the segue. I wonder if certain things happening in American jurisprudence made you particularly predisposed towards uh, depressing dystopia. Oh, well done. I know. <laughs> this is why Alina is the queen of the Segway. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I really kind of detest the, uh, the direction my country is taking and has been taking. And anytime anyone says, oh, well, this war on women, I don't know if you can hear the air quotes, this war on women, it's not really happening and it's getting better. That's bullshit. It's getting worse. (laughs) And the Hobby Lobby ruling that came out on Monday, um, I think as soon as SCOTUS blog tweeted, Alito is giving out both opinions today, everybody went, well, we're fucked. And the Hobby Lobby opinion, if somehow you're under a rock and you didn't hear about this, means that companies, closely held corporations, who feel that they have a deeply held religious belief, don't have to provide insurance that covers contraception for their female employees. Because a corporation can feel, can have religious can have beliefs. have a deeply held, sincerely held religious belief. But can companies money in the manufacturers of those contraceptives? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they'll... Yeah. And they'll, uh, they'll pay for vasectomies. They don't and have to that. And Viagra. Uh, because this is all about punishing women for daring to have sex. How will this, has there been any discussion about how this will affect other non-Christian religions in terms of their health coverage? Because something like, if your boss is a Scientologist, they could easily say, we're not going to pay for your your antidepressants because we don't believe in that. Or if they're Jehovah's Witnesses, we're not going to pay for your blood transfusion. The ruling specified that this only applies to contraception and not blood transfusion or vaccines. Um, But it certainly opens the door and uh, the notorious RBG's, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's dissent 
says, and she's not an alarmist um, normally in her descent, in her descent, she's like, this is extremely troubling. And this opens the door to all sorts of things. Um, the Supreme court ruling, certainly as it applies to the religious freedom restoration act of 1993 have not really gone the way of non-Christian religions because the U.S. is certainly full of hypocrites. So if there's a case, and I'm sorry, I can't Google it because of internet weirdness. Um, There was a case involving a Jewish company that didn't want to be open on Saturdays. And they had to for some reason and the the ruling the court did not rule in their favor basically so if you're if you're not christian and if you're 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 screwed basically and um it's troubling it's scary and a lot of people are really pissed off about it um, Raiden, Google brought up Brownfield v. Brown, um, a 1960s case about being closed on the Sabbath. Was that it? That might be it. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the court is just traditionally not very Jewish friendly. They're certainly not going to be Muslim friendly. And, uh, yeah said it before, but the world's best argument in favour of cloning is to get nine Ruth Bader Ginsburgs on the bench. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also the best argument for the finding the um, source of immortality. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. She is a hero. She is wonderful. She is. And she had to put up with so much bullshit from basically every man on that court. Yeah. Can I have Skelly's address? I just want to go to his house and have a nice consensual conversation with him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we using I think it's not just Scalia you want you want to talk to Alito too oh god I have to do both oh. yeah uh, are we using Robin it's... Thicke's definition of consensual yes well you know no. you want that. We're, we're using the Supreme Court's definition of consensual <laughs> based on the abortion clinic buffer law that they struck down last week Ugh. They, they seem to think that the protesters who are the reason that Massachusetts enacted that buffer zone law in the first place were just wanted to have quiet, um, caring, consensual conversa- counseling conversations with people going into the clinic. Um, and really what they're doing is they're screaming at people people who are going into the Planned Parenthood in Boston, which is where I had my health care for years when I didn't have insurance because I could go there and get a pap smear for what I could actually afford to pay. Um, the, the door is right on the sidewalk and just going in there after the buffer zone law was enacted was still kind of fraught and terrifying because you still had to go through this gauntlet of people who were telling you don't kill your baby when I <laughs> was going there. So then I wouldn't get pregnant. 
Well, that's what they like to forget is that the majority of what Planned Parenthood does is contraception, it's breast cancer screenings, it's pap smears, something like yeah, the two or three percent of what they do is abortion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was a case in the '90s in Massachusetts where a 22-year-old man walked into two different reproductive clinics and killed, I think, seven people. And it's not like the George Taylor case never happened. It's not the, like abortion the, clinics are firebombed all the time. Yeah, the definition of being pro-life is murdering people. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly if you're going to not give anybody any sort of comprehensive sex ed, you're not going to allow them to have access to contraception or even how that works. You can't have an abortion. You're not going to support any sort of pre or postnatal care. And you're sure as hell not going to provide for maternity leave or child care or food stamps or anything to help these women who you say the only way that you can possibly not get pregnant is to put an aspirin between your knees and never have sex even though you're not going to educate them as to what sex is you're certainly not going to hold any of the men involved responsible that's definitely pro-life totally and I think a few of these people need to be reminded is abortion was not invented when Roe v. Wade was brought in. Abortion has been around for literally thousands of years. You yeah. can read old texts written in stone and on papyrus that talk about certain herb mixtures that you could ingest to induce a miscarriage. This has been going on about as long as people have been getting pregnant for. The yeah. only difference now is we can do it without killing the woman. We can do it without having someone go down a back alley to find some you know, Vera Drake style back alley doctor with a coat hanger. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these anti-choicers have admitted, we know it's a safe procedure. But they're basically admitting, we don't mind if a woman dies. Yep. Because she doesn't mean anything to us, because we only care about the fetuses. Until it's born. Until it's born, then we don't give a shit about it. There's a George Carlin quote about how you don't really care about them until they're army recruitment age. Yep. (laughs) Sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. There's a little bit of a fear, nowhere near what's going on in in America over here, because our health secretary says the abortion limit should be 12 weeks. No. There's probably no chance he's ever going to implement it, but there's something really terrifying about the guy who is behind basically the privatization and selling off of our national health service, because that's essentially what's going on under a different name, and for him to say, well, I think it should be at 12 weeks. He doesn't, he's, he's never presented any evidence for why it should be this, because no one can present any. He's just decided he's going to throw that out as if that isn't a massive, you know, dog whistle right there. Because, you know, mm-hmm. people that don't have uteruses are really top-notch experts on this. Mm-hmm. There's a great, there, there's not a great yeah. picture, there's a really, you know, picture that really exemplifies what this is. It's when George W. Bush signed the Partial Birth Act, you know, the one that says you couldn't have a you know, partial abortion, what it was called. The, and an the intact DNC. DNC, yeah. Yeah, and the picture of him signing that into law is him, Rick Santorum, because of course it's Rick Santorum, and about seven or eight white guys. There's no one in there. Right. 
And that's what this is all about. Just like when Sandra Fluke wasn't allowed to testify about contraception, mm-hmm. because it wasn't about women, it was about freedom of speech. <sighs> I hate that phrase. Yeah. Such a... Uh, it's a shield against you being a dick. That's all it is. Yeah. It's like people say, oh, it's political correctness gone mad. And it's like, no, it's basic human behavior. Yeah. And then just just to add insult to injury, one of the hinges of the Hobby Lobby case was this is not actually an infringement on women's access to contraception because the corporations can fill out a form saying we have a religious objection to this contraception thing. And then the government will carry will cover the contraception. And then three days later, another ruling comes down from Wheaton College, which is a evangelical Christian college, saying the existence of this form is an infringement on religious rights. So you can't actually fill out the form, even though the ruling that happened three days before said the existence of the form is why this ruling is okay. And the Justice Sotomayor filed this blistering dissent, basically saying, you fucking fucker, you lied to us. And you've lied to everybody. And I, I just... I can't... I mean, there are so many reasons why healthcare should not be tied to employment. And why there are so many people in my generation and the generation just behind me who don't have access to healthcare that they can't afford because we're working contract jobs. We're working two or three freelance jobs, none of which comes with health insurance. So we have to get it through Obamacare and that's great, except that really it should just be single payer and we don't have to worry about it that much and but since your health care is tied to your employment Hobby Lobby is not giving me it's not paying me for insurance because I don't work for them so that means that people's health insurance is tied to their employment which makes it wages which means that Hobby Lobby is telling people how to spend their wages. That's what they're doing, and that doesn't work for any other money, so why should it work for this? This is such bullshit on so many levels, and I'm so angry. And I was doing so well. (laughs) Not ranting, and here we are. So, fuck everybody, and fuck everything. Basically. I don't understand a system where the ba- two of the basic needs you lead in your life are health and education, and you make them both so unaffordable that you shut out a, the vast majority of the population, where you're basically saying, yeah, you should all just die off quickly, because we have no room or space or need for you. Oh, no, I understand it exactly. Like, I mean, I understand that it's basically a class, you know, oh, it's yeah. a money divide class system. It's just... Yeah, who wants to say America doesn't have a class system, guys? Because I've heard someone make that argument against Britain, and it's like, no, no, you do. No. Oh, there's a class system. There is definitely a class system, and I think that people who are calling America a first world country at this point are deluded. I don't think we are a first world country at this point. And 
and saying, oh, I think we're headed towards a new Gilded Age is bullshit. We're here. This is what this <laughs> we're at the beginning stages of a new Gilded Age. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think that at some point, assuming humanity survives this long, um, the Hobby Lobby ruling is going to be looked at kind of the same way the Dred Scott ruling is, is one of the worst decisions the Supreme Court has ever made. But I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. So, Raiden, um, I have a kind of to round this up, I have a, a law process question for you. From my understanding, the Supreme Court is kind of the final word. So what can be done if a ruling is ever found by subsequent you know, generations or even some years down the line to be in, in unacceptable to society at large? Is there anything that can be done? Um, what people, there are some people working on a constitutional amendment right now that would have corporations not be people and not have the same rights as people, which would overturn um, both Citizens United and this Hobby Lobby ruling. Um, Citizens United was about money and politics? Was Money and politics and money as speech and corporations can donate as much money right. to so the Basically, super rich people who own corporations got two votes. <laughs> yeah. Um... So there's that. A subsequent case could be overturned. So, for example, uh, Plessy versus Ferguson back in, I want to say the 30s, um, held, might have been earlier than that. Anyway, Plessy versus Ferguson was where separate but, but equal came from in terms of the civil rights movement. And you can have segregation. It's fine as long as the accommodations for white people and black people are the same. And then Brown v. Brown versus the Board of Education came along in the 54. 54 and said, you know what, separate but equal, not actually equal, and that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson. Which was um, 1896, according to Wikipedia. Sure. Um, so... So the Supreme Court can overturn itself. Mm -hmm. um, lower courts can say, can come up, can try and come up with justifications to not go within the Supreme Court ruling. It doesn't always work out so well, but eventually those cases do make their way up to the Supreme Court. But um, the makeup, in order for that to happen, the makeup of the Supreme Court has to radically change. Hmm. Which probably won't happen in any time soon, really, will it? No, Alito and Roberts are annoyingly young. Uh, and Ginsburg sadly isn't. Oh. Yeah. Man, sports politics, we're really covering the bases today. Pretty much. I think we've ran the gamut and can pretty much wrap this up. <laughs> Is there anything else we wanted to hit? I feel like there is a big issue we have to talk about. Yeah. Robin Thicke. I just feel so cheap following up the Hobby Lobby discussion with that douchebag. I know, but the thing is, I've seen an increasing number of people say that what Robin Thicke is doing isn't bad. <sighs> and I feel like we need to okay. reassert that, yes, 
what he's yeah, doing. It is really awesome. is that bad. Look, look. I understand using art to process your emotions. God knows I've done it, but that's not what he's doing, and that's certainly not what the video for "Get Her Back" did. That was a threat. His newest video features a bunch of children on their knees begging as well. Let's lay the groundwork for those who have mercifully yeah. avoided this, but now we will drag you into this mud, kicking, kicking and screaming. So Robin Thicke, whom we all know, uh, his wife has left them. Smart woman. He has now decided that he's going to use his pulpit as you know, a famous singer to emotionally blackmail her by making songs about how you know, he's sorry that he cheated and he wants her back. And look at his legion of fans who think he, she should go back to him. Now, millions of people who don't know her are calling her a bitch for making poor Robin cry. Mm-hmm. And can't you see how romantic it is? And the whole album is titled Paula. And it's... And the if song... you're going to make an entire album full of basically, you know, you know, Fretmantic blackmail songs for your ex. You should spend a lot longer making that album than four weeks. Yeah. Because this is just cheap. There's a brilliant review of it in the Atlantic, which calls it the creepiest album ever made. <laughs> it is that bad. The thing is, as well, he like until Blurred Lines came out, I'd never heard of Robin Thicke. I had no idea who he was. His music wasn't didn't register in the UK at all. Right. Came over here, became a big hit. There was obviously. I don't think in the US either. I think it was just... Yeah, from what I understand, he was kind of like a proto, slightly cheaper Justin Timberlake. Is that about right? Yeah. He he just looks like Simon Cowell to me. (laughs) (laughs) His dad was famous as an actor? His dad's an actor, right? Yeah, Alan Thicke from um, Growing Pains. And uh, apparently he's a huge asshole. Shock and surprise. (laughs) Well, the thing with the song, the, the backlash came out very justifiably. A number of universities in Britain banned the song from their campus, which I don't agree with because if you're going to start banning songs based in their sexist content, you're going to have to do more than ban one song. Mm-hmm. So this big thing came out. I don't think he ever. I think he did release other songs, but I have no idea if they did well because I never heard them. Although I do know there's one song that contains the line, "I've got a big dick for you." He's like, "Oh, you charmer." Yeah, that's just you know. Have you heard the term overcompensation? <laughs> and then, but there was a, the other thing that he was mostly known for was his uh, VMA performance with Miley Cyrus, which mm-hmm. he decided she was going to take all the blame. He, she was going to take all the blame for the twenty-year-old who's doing her "I'm an adult." This is how adults act routine. Yep. Despite the fact that he was very happily grinding his Beetlejuice-clad crotch against her. Mm-hmm. And the way he was talking about, well, Blurred Lines was inspired by my wife, and oh, you know, I'll, I'll say the story that really got me. He was being interviewed by, I believe it was Essence, and he talked about how his wife, who is black, said to him in an argument, you don't understand what it's like to be a black woman. So he went and in five minutes wrote a song talking about how he understood her feelings. Aww. Yeah, I mean, the man couldn't scream douchebag any louder if he spelled out with giant balloons. But the thing about this, and people have written breakup albums before. Marvin Gaye, who he keeps stealing from, did some very famous work along that line. The difference here is this is the complete extinction of private space in regards to Paula Patton. Well, yeah. you know, of 
say even somewhat <laughs> relatively recent examples, you know, Eminem has had songs about his mother, about his ex-wife. So this whole thing about the singer taking out their personal life's frustrations out in song is not new. And there were people, I think, which even at the time thought that, say, Eminem songs maybe crossed some lines. But even then, they, it wasn't like they were targeted specifically to create like this peer pressure mm-hmm. to punish those women. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Robin, I don't think did... Eminem for any moment ever thought what he was doing made him a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, no. he was a dick for doing it, but he also knew he was a dick. That doesn't justify it. But I think Robin Thicke does seem to he does seem to think he is a serious victim in this. I don't think I don't know if we mentioned, but I believe specifically she left him for cheating on her. Well, that's the rumors because apparently he had been cheating on her for a long time. Not that this surprises anyone. Yeah. No. And certainly the the video for Get Her Back involves um, text messages, like her actual text messages to him. There's uh, a bit where he texts, I wrote a whole album for you, and the reply he gets is, I don't care. Which is just like a bit of a stand-up and applaud moment. Yeah. The, the one bright but, spot in all this is that Twitter AMA. Oh my god, it was beautiful. Let let me finish with the video for Get Her Back, which involves um, pictures, a video of a dark-haired woman who looks remarkably like Paula Patton. I'm sure that's totally a coincidence. Uh, Drowning. The final shot involves a swirl of red in water. Um, That that video is nothing of that that video is a threat that is a threat to violence towards her yeah. is it basically i will kill her if you don't come back i will kill basically, you basically basically <laughs> who wouldn't just run back into his arms i'm looking i'm looking at the review the, the atlantic wrote his album here and i'm just going to read this bit out because i think that this is honestly quite unsettling Paula, the album, isn't afraid to get tabloid tawdry as Fick rakes through the cold with his marriage with the gusto of a chimney sweep. In Black Tar Cloud, which may or may not refer to heroin, cigarettes, or both, he describes a woman smashing his guitar and telling him she's taken an overdose. Turns out I'm not the only one who doubles it, he sings mournfully, making it all about him again. So if, if he's making some sort of confessional album to get his wife back, that sounds an awful lot like he's revealing some potential scandals about her in a very black melee manner mm-hmm. the, the, the basic insinuation of that song is you were a drug addict who threatened to kill yourself over me and i'm the victim in all of this why would you... apparently he hasn't spoken to her in four months i completely understand why but the thing that's really got me as well is there's been a lot of reviews written about the album that have talked about why it's not a good album on a musical front but there doesn't seem to be a lot of contextual analysis going on here. There doesn't seem to be a lot of people who are willing to stand up and say, in the context of the guy who wrote Blurred Lines, writing a Black Melee album named after his ex-wife, where every song is about his relationship with her, this constitutes a threat. I've not seen enough of that from reviews. I've mostly seen that coming from people on Twitter, like with the AskFic hashtag. Mm-hmm. And it really concerns me because this isn't—it's not new. I mean, if you've ever watched any romantic comedy where the guy basically has to break down the woman's, you know, barriers in order to quote unquote get her, or any song that calls a woman a bitch like Blurred Lines, in and it's a really common theme that a woman is an object to be won. 
And in order to win her, you have to break down her defences. You have to basically wear her down until she gives in. Because I don't think... There's there's points with this whole Robin Thicke thing where I don't think he especially cares about her. He just wants to win. Mm -hmm. Because if this was something he genuinely felt really remorseful for... I mean, I could understand making a public apology. I would still find it a little unsettling in the way that people make public marriage proposals. But at least he wouldn't have crossed the sheer number of barriers that he's done here. Because this is not anyone's business but his and his exes. I kind of want to believe that this is all a setup, just because it's too horrific to believe that he would put someone who he supposedly cares about through this, not think it's a bad thing, and there will be people who will support him. Yeah, I'm sorry, you've been a little too optimistic here. I think it's what it says in the tin. Uh, it, uh, we, we have to talk about the aspect hashtag just to get the, the levity back up here. Yeah. <laughs> so it was DH1, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah DH1 I think organized, so. hey, we're going to have a um, chat with Robin Thick on Twitter. You should submit your questions to hashtag AskFig. Twitter brought it. Brought it to the point where ha- Robin Thick only stayed online for 15 minutes to answer questions. So I've got a selection of some of the tweets here. Let's just see. And when did you decide that the creepy PE teacher look was the style for you? <laughs> On a scale of R. Kelly to Phil Spector, how do you intend to get her back? <laughs> how often should I delete my internet search yesterday? You strike me as a good person to ask. Oh, uh, do, do you have the one that was like, uh, but we know you wanted Robin Thicke, it was something like that? You oh, may yeah, be saying a lot of them around along those lines as well which was well i know you seem like you don't you're not enjoying this but we know you want it yeah pretty much. oh got a good one good one what's it like to be the human personification of a midlife crisis <laughs> and how does it feel to be the joffrey of pop oh burn <laughs> here's one can i punch you in the face no you mean yes right you know you want it <laughs> train a leaves the station at 40 miles an hour and train b leaves at 55 miles an hour how far is the judge going to order you to stay away from Paula Patton? <laughs> if I say your name three times, will you disappear? I hope he would. I would do that so much. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of one to ten, how far do you think you've set white men back? <laughs> do you gel your hair with the grease from your own personality? Oh. My fa- There was a review someone wrote of one of his live concerts where they said that he's so oily that you fear for the safety of passing birds. And that he did just look like a walking personification of Simon Cowell's personality. Just saying, just like close your eyes slightly the next time you see him. It's actually Simon Cowell. Maybe he's like Simon Cowell's Dorian Gray portrait. He actually personifies everything Simon Cowell. <laughs> that would actually be a really great story to write, wouldn't it? <laughs> The worse you act, the bigger scandals on this pop star that has taken on <laughs> There was a point where the hashtag just became a public punching bag, but it was a glorious public punching bag. Yeah. People say Twitter doesn't have any good uses. I, I disagree with that. Also, some good news from what I understand, the album has only sold <laughs> in like 20,000 copies this week. So... Even if there are people that support him, it's not the wider market Good. that bought Lord Lang. So clearly there are limits for people to say, yeah, we're not comfortable with this, and you're a jerk. 
Well, here's the, I think you mistake something about blurred lines. I honestly believe the the popularity of blurred lines had nothing to do with the. So it's all about that catchy beat, right? How many people say? Hey, right. how many people? Yeah, that will like that song, but really they just like kind of the tune of it, right? They don't care what lyrics are on it. Which and, I can understand for a lot of pop songs. I mean, there are some pop songs that yeah, have the, the tune of the song certainly gets into my head, and then I. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You still there? Yeah. Yeah. Now, if only we can get through a whole season of So You Think You Can Dance without them reprising it again. What was the dance like for that one? Don't talk to me about So You Think You Can Dance. Um, they had one last season that was... Did they have that one last season? That was last season. That was Jasmine and somebody i think it was jazz probably i don't remember probably but two people auditioned to it during the audition episodes so like i can i mean it's definitely a song you can dance to but um, robin pick was on a chat show when the song came out when suddenly people knew and britain knew who he was and he sat with his legs as wide open as he could possibly get them like he was in the breech position to give birth it's like (laughs) You have a penis. We know. You can close your legs now. There are other people sitting on that couch. <sighs> and he realizes that he released a number of albums, but it took him to essentially release a date rape album for people to notice him. So he ever looks in the mirror and just sort of thinks about what happened. Mm-hmm. The mirror alone in his house because his wife had left him. Okay, that's as much time as I'm really willing to devote to him. <laughs> I'm shutting this down. Thank you, Robin Thicke. We're the James Franco of music. <laughs> yeah. James Franco released a poetry book. It's Ouch! Bad. <laughs> it's really, really bad. I'm sure it's just an artistic exercise. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, it's bad on purpose. It's James Franco. Oh, I think he will say it is. I'm not saying, like, that was actually it. But... Oh, no, he will probably claim that, but... um. I don't know, I'm kind of pissed off about the poetry thing because it's really hard to get poetry published these days. There's not really a market for it, especially if you're an up-and-comer and you've never written any or you've never published any before. Getting your foot in the door is phenomenally difficult. And for favor, or if to decide, hey, we'll publish James Franco's work, even though all of it is terrible. I think I don't think he knows how to do rhyme or meter. He's just written sentences and then divided them up. It's like, well, this looks like poetry. And all of his poems are about how wonderful he yeah. is. Based on There's a poem about Keith Ledger where he just constantly talks about comparing himself to Heath Ledger. There's a poem where he meets the ghost of River Phoenix, and River Phoenix spends the entire time talking about him. I'm just saying, if either of those two actors were alive, they wouldn't want to hang around with James Franco. So now I'm just imagining the slam poetry scene no. from 22 Jump Street. <laughs> I haven't seen that, no. But I mean, I will link to the, I will link to, for the show notes just some of his work. Well, I call it work. I don't really know what else to call it. Um... <laughs> Because it's bad. I mean, there's no other word for it. I can, I'm not a biggest poetry fan. You know, I like poetry, but I'm not wild about it. But I know how good poetry goes. He also is obsessed with writing about Lindsay Lohan, which really upsets me because I, I mean, I, I really want to defend her here. He wrote a poem where he's basically talking about, well, from her point of view, where it includes the line, Fame raped me and I raped it, if you know what I'm saying. He then wrote a short story, which was about him and a character called Lindsay Lohan, but wasn't really Lindsay Lohan because it's art. 
And then he made a joke about her and this is the end where he's playing himself and talks about how he had sex with Lindsay Lohan but she was so drugged up she didn't know who he was. Like he's just constantly using her as this punching bag or expression of his art and it's like, honey, if you want to go take him out, I can provide an alibi for you. (laughs) I'm sick of this culture where we will reward straight white dudes like James Franco for being mediocre because he's James Franco. I don't know. I th- I think James Franco's attempts at douchebaggery have are go beyond mediocrity. Like I think he's a grade A douchebag. I wouldn't call him a mediocre douchebag. I think no, the work that he produces is mediocre. Mm. I think himself is a douchebag, and it kind of sucks because yeah. I've seen yeah. him do good work. Like he, Spring Breakers isn't a great film, but he's great in it. Um, hundred twenty-seven hours, he's really good, and I wouldn't say he's great. But when he does, he does so much things where he just doesn't give a shit. But he's still rewarded for it. He's written terrible books. He's done terrible artwork. He did a series of them. Um, he recreated the film stills of Cindy Sherman. And he totally missed the point of what those film stills were about. He just thought, hey, I'll put on drag and take pictures of myself and it will be art. And it's like, no, you're just a dick. You've taken art, which is about being a woman and the limited roles that women have in the world and in the media and the stereotypes that people have for women. And you've just made it, hey, I'm in drag. And now he's writing terrible poetry where he's dragging some of my favorite late actors through the mud. Alright. That was more time than I'm willing to devote to James Franco too, by the way. (laughs) I think we had a pretty good uh, assorted selection of topics here. (laughs) And we're really looking forward to next month where we're bringing you a guest. This is a guest you will like. A new guest. A new guest. And a new topic and everything. It'll be exciting. Mm-hmm. Please do join <laughs> us next month. So, yeah. Wait, Kaylee? We can talk about things that aren't douchebags. Yeah. And we, we will. Can. Next month. And we will. <laughs> <laughs> but the takeaway from this month is everybody's a douchebag. Except um, Ruth Ginsburg. Except for the Notorious RPG. (laughs) And we will include a link to where you can buy your very own Notorious RPG t-shirt if you want. It's an option. I'm just... So, that's it. We'll see you next month. Stay cool, everybody. Bye. 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 You have been listening to Anglophies, a made-of-fail production.